Welcome to episode 96 of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. I hope you're keeping well and keeping busy. Today we have a special episode for you as we are delighted that Pat will be chatting to former politician and SNP member Gene Freeman. Or should I say Gene Freeman OBE. You'll know Jean as she was the Cabinet Secretary for Health and Sport during the pandemic. And as you can imagine, that that was a hell of a difficult job and very difficult circumstances. And as far as I'm concerned, Jean is one of the good people in the world. And I know that she put her heart and soul in trying to keep us all safe, as safe as any government is able to do. Uh, When I had a look up in Wikipedia and did a bit of search for Jean, I was incredibly surprised to learn that she only became an MSP in 2016 when she won the constituency seat for Carrick, Cumnock and Doon Valley and was more or less immediately a junior minister. And by 2018, she was in the cabinet, as I mentioned earlier on. So Jean's considerable talents were recognised pretty early in her career as an MSP. But Jean's not new to politics. Uh, She's been active in politics her entire life, and even from an early age. Well, she was raised in uh, South Ayrshire, working class background, trade union and labour supporting family are from a trade unions and labour supporting family. Uh, By 1979 she was already putting her talents to good use to help her fellow students when she became the first woman to chair the National Union of Students in Scotland. Now there's plenty more I could say but unfortunately I'd be here for another 40 minutes so the only thing I'm going to say is I'm a big fan of Jean's work and her talents and we're delighted that she agreed to come on and have a chat so, without further ado, let's have a listen to Jean Freeman chatting to Pat. Today, Jean Freeman, familiar name to lots and lots of people, has come to, to see me. Um, and um, Jean played a very significant role in with SNP in the Scottish Government. And so we'll talk a bit about that, but I um, also want to find out what Jean's doing nowadays at Glasgow University, because that sounds like a great job. It is, it is. It's part-time, Pat, but um, I absolutely love it. It's very different for me, mm-hmm. but I'm really enjoying it, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's great. No, I, I love the university. Yeah. I just, I'm up there quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jean, um, when I, I sort of thought I'll have a wee check out what um, Jean's been up to and what she did in the past and so on, and um, I noticed that you had gone to Glasgow Tech yep. and done sociology and politics. And yep. I, because that was the kind of Glasgow Tech kind of morphed into university, um, the Glasgow Caledonian University, yep. I wondered if you had come across Dave Donald and Alan Hunter at all. Alan Hutton. Uh, I don't think I did. Are those names familiar to no, you? No, I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not familiar. I uh, 
went when it was Glasgow College of Technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I initially went to do personnel management and uh, was put off that, although I enjoyed the course, I was put off it when the lecturer told us um, in a very matter-of-fact way that, and these are his words, the girls will go into welfare and obviously the men in the class would be doing um, uh, labour relations. Right. And I thought, I, that'll be right. <laughs> that wasn't on your street. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Um, but um, while I was there, because it was Glasgow Tech, there were all sorts of students there doing all sorts of different courses, including um, some students doing degree courses. And they were the ones I kind of got to know more. It was at that point London University, externally validated right. degree. And uh, I thought, they're not any cleverer than me. I bet you I could do a degree. <laughs> and that's why I then applied uh, after the personnel management course mm-hmm. and did the degree, by the which time it was a different validation, but it was... Um, Sociology and politics were the honours bits I followed, mm-hmm. um, although you did economic history and economics mm-hmm. and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. I loved being at Glasgow Tech and uh, really enjoyed all, all of that time. It was a very, very good college. It was it indeed. It was particularly good. And the reason I mentioned Dave Donald and Alan Hutton was that they, I kind of found out... Um, how much people thought about um, the Glasgow Tech through them because I, I worked at um, Glasgow Caledonian ah, and they okay. were, um, Dave Donald was my boss uh-huh. and they had come up from Glasgow Tech. Yeah. Yeah. They had moved and they, they had moved from the um, social sciences mm-hmm. and set up social sciences mm-hmm. at Glasgow mm-hmm. Caledonian. Social sciences at Glasgow Caledonian was also very good. Yeah, um, yeah. And they were they were so proud of that background. Yeah, and I and good. I'm glad because I always. Um, so it was kind of Dave Walsh, Jill Scott, oh, yeah, various yeah, Bill, other people Bill like Jill that. Scott I know so well um, because when I worked at um, I um, worked for Save the Children, the, the Rosemount Project. Ah, okay. And I brought. Um, links with Glasgow Caledonian and that it was Jill Scott who came to evaluate we uh-huh. European yeah, social yeah. funding yeah, yeah. I still know Jill I see her, I meet her just on the bus and things like that she's, she's absolutely lovely um, and Dave Walsh I know as well um, that, I actually yeah, went back at one point in, in my uh, life I went back and worked uh, for a guy called Udo Shuklenk on ethics and public policy. Right. Uh, and I worked with uh, Udo for a couple of years and that was um, part of what was then uh, Glasgow Caledonia University. And it was in the old British Rail Building was the office, mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought it was a bit of a shame because it, there in the one college, you had people doing HNCs, HNDs, degrees, ophthalmic optics was a big thing. Um, in fact, as a student, you got um, you got chocolate biscuits and paid to be a pretend patient for the exams. Needless uh, to say, I lined up for that every time. Um, but and because there was that mix, I am pretty sure there was a number of young people who um, hadn't thought they were good enough to do d- university degrees. 
did HNC or HND and because they were in that mix, yeah. went on. And, and it always felt a pity to me that we kind of lost that because although we've got um, university and college links, mm-hmm. people are not in the same building, they're not in the they're same campus. The same That's right. So, and it is actually, it was talking to the folks in the degree course mm-hmm. where that led me to yeah. apply to do a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just sometimes wonder if we haven't um, demarcated our higher and further education a bit yeah, too much. No, that's interesting. I'd never thought that. Both Jim and I went to um, Clydebank College. Uh-huh. And um, when I went, I only went because I was working at John Brown offshore. Yeah. And it was closing down. Uh-huh. And I had two young children. Yeah. So I couldn't get into Glasgow to work, you know, mm-hmm. Stephen Oakle Patrick. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Somebody said to me, go to the college, you'll get a grant, because yeah. the fabulous grants. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that's what I did. No yeah. intention of ever a thought of university or anything. Yeah. But the, the young fella that sat beside me in the English class, he was about 17 or something, kept hitting me in the head with his ruler and telling me that he was going to university <laughs> and I thought maybe I could go <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but nowhere near him and he's ruler <laughs> but um, you know it was just um, so so that that was that was why um, how I, I ended up going, going to uni but I um, I really I really loved Caledonian and I those people who worked there Dave Walsh Jill Scott that whole group mm-hmm. Dave, Dave Donald Alan Hutton, mm-hmm. they were they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, um, but so so committed, and um, I never did politics. Jim did politics and economics, but uh, sociology is just brilliant, isn't mm-hmm. it? I, I think I, everybody should do it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed sociology, and it it, um, it made a lot of sense of some things, um, but also, <coughs> excuse me, it opened up. It opened up other avenues, mm-hmm. you know, to, to go and inquire about, exactly. which was great. Yeah, all the whole class thing and everything yeah, that you, you, you know, well, I certainly never thought much about it, but no. you just, you maybe thought some folk were posh, but yeah. rich, but yeah. you didn't kind of... Um, no, you didn't, although I do remember yeah. when many, many, many years ago, I don't know, I must have been about, I don't know, six or seven, I have two uh, older brothers... And the middle, the middle one, so I was the youngest, um, Jim, who's four years older than me, so what, Jim would be, I don't know, 10, 11, something like that. I remember him saying to my mum, well, why can't you be the queen? <laughs> and it, and it stuck with me because I thought, that's a good question. for a wee boy. Yeah, yeah. And so, the, so, yeah, you knew some folk were posh, some folk seemed to have more and you didn't really know how that came mm-hmm. about and mm-hmm. how come there were all these things. So, yeah, sociology began to answer the number yeah. of questions you probably didn't even know you really had. I know. So that was probably, gave you a good basis for where you were heading. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, uh, I've never had a kind of career plan. No. Um there was a there was a phase I remember you know in, in management and business and all of that leadership. There's always phases of things you're mm-hmm. supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a phase about how you had to have a clear plan, you know, and about where you wanted to be in five years and all this. 
And I always thought, oh, I should probably have one of these things. But I never, I, I wasn't motivated enough to bother having a plan. Do you know mm. what I mean? It was mm. just understand whatever door opens, if I mm-hmm. fall in it, it might you be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I never had a plan either. I just, when I um, graduated, then I, I did a youth and community diploma. Uh-huh. And um, then I um, applied for all sorts of things. And um, I remember I got an interview for careers. Uh-huh. And um, because I just had applied for everything. And they said to me, is there any place in particular you would like to work? And I kind of, on the spur of the moment, I said, well, I think Cornwall would be nice because it looks beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And then they said to me, oh, have you been there? I said, oh, no, I've never never been there. Well, needless to say, nothing came of that. (laughs) So the the other thing that I found... um, Really, really interested me, and I, I, I couldn't believe it actually was you didn't actually join the SNP till 20, 2014, is that right? That's right. That's my right. goodness. And That's right. So my whole my whole family background, mostly my dad, I have to say, was um, Labour Party, but through trade unionism. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad used to talk to me. I when I was a kid, I loved asking my mum and dad for stories about when they were young and then when they were teenagers and all of that. I loved it. And my dad used to talk to me about um, being in the war. He was an a aircraft fixer, I think, and fitter, engineer, during the Second World War. Um, and he always said that that was too fancy a title given they had nothing to fix the planes with, really, except no. sometimes literally brown paper. Um but he used to talk to me about uh, coming back from the war. He came from a mining village in Gloucestershire. That's his whole family were miners, um, originally from Lithuania. Uh, and he used to talk about coming back from the war, being determined that the country would be a better one than the one he'd left, mm-hmm. um, and the importance of, of I guess, the collectivism of trade unionism, mm-hmm. of, of looking out for each other and... and um, whatever you had it wasn't really worth anything unless other people had the same chances and Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. stuff and that all stuck with me Mm -hmm. um i was in the labor party for a for a bit um but i actually left the labor party when they got rid of the student grant um because i knew that there was no way i could have studied without that grant no way no way my mum and dad i was a mature student anyway but I wouldn't have wanted to take their money, but they, they didn't have the money. So, you know, the grant was everything. It was fantastic. So uh, so then I've, I've always been politically active and politically interested. Um, but it was really, I think bef- before 20, 2012, I remember going to my partner Susan at that time was in the SNP. And we went to a party conference and I was sitting listening to Nicola Sturgeon actually mm-hmm. speaking. And I thought, there isn't a single word that woman's saying that I disagree with. Mm-hmm. Not a single word. There's a thing, there was a thing in the Labour Party that, that independence was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So you didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then, as you probably know, I was a 
um, special advisor with Jack McConnell yeah, uh, for uh, a few years. And that actually started me thinking, well, why not? If we can, uh, if we can do, make decisions about education or justice or um, other areas of importance, why can't we do foreign policy and defence policy and mm-hmm. all of that? There's no good reason. I don't understand. And I'd always campaign for devolution. Um, So it was a kind of, I guess, an an evolution of thinking, if you like. And then the the, um, 2011, um, when when the SNP government was elected again and uh, had a majority and there was going to be a referendum, uh, I was one of the founding members of Women for Independence. that was fantastic. which was, was a fantastic organisation, mm-hmm. a fantastic experience. So all my energies went into that. Um, but as we got towards a referendum, I thought, well, I should join this party. I support it. Why, mm-hmm. why don't I give it my money every mm-hmm. month or year mm-hmm. or whatever? Why don't I mm-hmm. put that badge on? Um, and so I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Women for Independence was brilliant. There, there were so many, um, I mean, it was pretty significant. But there, I'm sure it encouraged an awful lot of women to vote that wouldn't, wouldn't have. I think and, it did. And also, I think a lot of women, like yourself, I think quite a lot of women moved away from labour mm-hmm. before their husbands and mm-hmm. before their families mm-hmm. because they were mm-hmm. so emotionally, they met, a lot of the men were so emotionally attached. And I know, like, like my mum... Um, my mum would just say, well, I'll vote what your dad votes. Yeah. You know, that was the kind of... Yeah. Um, yeah. And she wasn't, she wasn't a stupid woman, she was smart, mm-hmm. but um, that, was, that yeah. was the way of it. Yeah. So I think Women for Independence was really, really important because I think the women actually brought a lot of the men yeah. on the side. Yeah, that's, that's maybe well true. I mean, the, there are women now in, across, across the country who are elected as councillors, Mm-hmm. Um, or active in their local communities, and I, I, I know them, and they started mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. active in Women for Independence because the whole ethos of the organisation was um, about women listening to women and nothing being a stupid question mm-hmm. and nothing being out of bounds and um, just a different way of of doing things. Um, that attracted a lot, a lot of women um, who had felt that political parties were not for them. That was not a good environment. They didn't feel comfortable, didn't feel able to speak out. Um, and, you know, we had organised for October uh, a, a meeting, a, a Scottish meeting of Women for Independence on the basis of, well, if, if we win the referendum... Uh, then, you know, we'll need to decide what we're doing next. And if we don't win it, well, we should still just meet and wrap ourselves up. (coughs) So we didn't win the referendum. Uh, We went to Perth. The only place we could get was a church in Perth. And we went to Perth and no idea about it. Over a thousand women turned up. My God. A thousand. Filled that church. I mean, literally if it filled had been it. In Glasgow, fair enough, but Perth, you would uh-huh. never. Have People had travelled from all over, uh, and it was the most fantastic 
um, nourishing, uplifting event I've been to in a long time. <laughs> and on the way back down the road, the minister phoned me and told me he joined the SNP. That <laughs> <laughs> was just that the was icing on the cake. It was the icing on the cake. It was fantastic. So yeah, that was a that was a good time. Yeah. Doing that. No, I mean, it's good that there was positivity that came out of it because it was so heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, I, we were in George Square the night before mm. the referendum. I did not think for a minute that we wouldn't get it. Mm. No, I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't lift my head off the pillow the next day. It was just, I could not believe that um, we didn't get independence. I know. Then at the referendum. I know. It was it it was heartbreaking, and the but there was so much that was good in it. You know, remember the queues of people registering mm-hmm. to vote. I know. I mean that. Yeah. You know, if if nothing else brought a tear to your eye, that did. Uh, it, uh, it was. I mean, I kept on. On social media, before beforehand, when people were saying, "Well, I don't care what happens. I don't care how, what happens," and I just thought, "Well, whatever happens, I'm glad I hung out with the yes folk because it was brilliant, <laughs> you know, because it was so, it was so good natured and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, so sort of, you really, really felt part of something." or something mm-hmm. new so mm-hmm. and it's still there it'll, it'll it's all still there without, definitely, yeah definitely. I think so it's got, it's got to come but so so you moved you joined SNP then you um, stood for um, uh, MSP mm-hmm. it's in Carrick in, yeah, in Carrick come the Valley which yeah. is um, Ayrshire uh, is and, is, you came and that's where I was brought yeah. up um, and it it was uh, like lots of things I've done, it, it was a, I wonder if I can, I wonder if I can get elected as an MSP, I wonder what it would be like to be in Parliament as an MSP, um, but I only wanted to stand in the area that I came from, yeah. so I didn't well, want to do it. that makes sense, doesn't it, because yeah. you, know, you know what the area needs and you yeah. know the people. Yeah, and I... I um, I I like campaigning. I love, I really do love canvassing and chatting people's doors and talking away to them. So, um, we that was a we we campaigned for a long time actually. So, I think you, I got selected by um, the local party to, towards the end of the summer, uh, and then we started the campaign. So I have fond memories and photos of. You know, I remember a Friday night in Cumnock, canvassing in Cumnock. And a Friday night, it was chucking it down. I mean, literally, the rain was dripping off your nose. And we stopped because I said at one point, folk are either going to think that we're mad and why would you vote for us? Or we're a bunch of pair cells that need looked after. So why should you vote for us? So let's stop this. And I had a hat with a brim on it um, to keep me you know, to keep me dry rather than a hood, right? Because I thought going to people's door with a hood on is mm-hmm. not really nice. I had a hat, but what I forgot every single time was that when I bent my head forward, of course, all the rain fell off. So every time I opened my car door and bent forward, right, I tipped a load of water onto the driver's oh seat every single time. Just those nights. Oh, yeah, I know. But I got elected. I, know, that and must have been the I was over the moon. 
Yeah, I was delighted. Mm-hmm. Delighted. I know. And then, I mean, you you rose so quickly within the um, the party, mm-hmm. within the government. I mean, good for Nicola spotting you. <laughs> you know, well well done. And um, so then you worked in the the new social security for Scotland. Yeah, that must have been fantastic. Yeah, it was so. So we had started back at the Parliament um, and in the first week back, um, Nicola made me the Minister for Social Security. Huge privilege, huge. And a brilliant job because it didn't exist. And so it was all part of the new powers. Mm -hmm. Um, Not nearly enough new powers and not all of Social Security, um, but enough to make a difference. Um, And so what we did... I decided that it was really important to hear from people who received Social Security about um, what they wanted to be better. Uh, and there was a wee bit of a, a wee bit pushback on that, that we were going to consult um, s- strenuously, actually, not just um, organisations but individuals. We were going to ask organisations to bring groups of people together for us and all of that. It was a huge amount of work. We bit of pushback from officials in government about that idea because they were worried that people would just want more money yeah. and we yeah. didn't have mm-hmm. lots more money. Uh, but I, I knew that wasn't. And actually, we almost without exception, what people said, and they, what they said was, if you've got more money here, that'd be nice. Mm-hmm. But actually, could we speak to a human being rather than a, a, you know, a stranger, a, a voice on the, mm-hmm. at the end of a line. Can we actually see somebody? Mm-hmm. Can we stop being called strangers yeah, yeah. and wasters and lazy? Yeah. Can, um, can they, if they're going to change things, could they tell us about it beforehand? So basically, could you just treat us with respect? Mm-hmm. And that's why the, mm-hmm. the, the founding principles actually in the legislation Mm-hmm. Our dignity, fairness, and respect. Mm-hmm. That that's how. I mean, that is so important. Because, Vital. because people, I mean, most people on social security are there because that, that they haven't got opportunities to to work. They can't mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. or you know, for all sorts of reasons, they're disabled or mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just awful all those years of. I mean, it started off with the scroungers mm-hmm. and then we're on mm-hmm. to the migrants mm-hmm. and just completely mm-hmm. insulting people absolutely you know, it's, it's, um, and the, the you know part of the bottom line is n- neither you or I know when we might need social security I have been on social security and so, me too so and you know it's 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 back to that collective thing isn't it it's back to that we all contribute to this for ourselves and for each other Right, which is a really important comes up again in public health actually, but it's a for me it's a really important foundation of a good society is that you look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, if you're working and you can afford it, you pay your taxes, mm-hmm. um, and your taxes should be based on what you can, what you're yeah. earning. Mm-hmm. You earn more, you pay more, mm-hmm. and you do that because you know that. No matter how much you might have, it's meaningless if people are sleeping in the street, That's if right. they don't have enough to eat, if kids aren't getting chances, it's pointless. No. So the collective bit 
of social security and, and fact of health is, is just critical. And most people in Scotland completely get that. Yeah. They want it to be fair and they want it to be just. And respect, respectful yeah. of people. Yeah. So it was a fantastic mm-hmm. job. And I, I was determined, if I could, to have a... So you have to create the legislation to then disperse public money mm-hmm. and to create social security agency and all of that. So I really, really wanted it us to get to a point where it was a unanimous vote in Parliament. Partly because I just thought that broad agreement was it was good. But also I didn't want any of the other parties, uh, if they should ever be in government, to try and unpick any of yeah. it. So if they were tied in at the beginning, then that made it harder. And we, that's what we ended up with. Yeah. It was a unanimous vote. Yeah. It was over the moon. Mm-hmm. No, that, that was such a, a fantastic achievement, really, you know, yeah. to get that, that consensus and to have people agree on the principles, you know. One of my friends, um, Val, she works in Citizens Advice, oh. and um, I I did some work from, for them a number of years ago now, but it was in sanctions. Um, all I did was actually they'd had a conference and it was all about looking at sanctions and then it was a huge document, it was hundreds and hundreds of pages but they needed it brought down so that's what I did, right. I, I, I reduced it. Yeah. I, I, I cried the whole way through mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I mean it, it was mm-hmm. it, it was just absolutely heartbreaking, mm-hmm. the people that were sanctioned because the bus didn't come, mm-hmm. you know, and, and absolutely... Just awful. Cruel. So Just cruel. awful. And, you know, in the, during the consultation, we did a lot um, of meetings with people with disabilities and they would talk about um, the assessment process for PIP. Now, we were going to have disability mm-hmm. um, payments transferred to Scotland and... In those meetings, yeah, I was in tears too in some of them. The things that, the the humiliation that people had to endure. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a, I remember this woman in particular, some stand out for me. And there was a woman in particular who talked about how um, you basically you get penalised. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've always been, if I'm going out, you know, I'm going to blow dry my hair. And I've got to put some lippy on all right, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And they were effectively penalising people because obviously there was nothing very much wrong with them if their hair was washed and dried and they were wearing makeup and so on. But also, as she said, you know, she had MS and she said, you know, you have good days and bad days. You don't want to focus all the time on what you can't do. So if I can walk at all, I'll walk. Mm-hmm. And she'd been refused uh, her disability payment. She went to Citizens Advice uh, to help for help with appeal, and the the woman there said, I, "I know that's what you do, right? If you if you can walk at all, you will walk. But on the day of the appeal, I want you to go in there in a wheelchair. And you've got to show your worst day." Um, even that, if this, is, so, even if it's your best uh, day, because so often it is your worst day. Uh, and, but I thought that's that is awful. So mm-hmm. so, so and, and the woman was in tears as she's telling me this because she said, 
I won my appeal, but I can't help feeling that I won it on a lie. Mm. I thought, to make people mm. feel like that, mm-hmm. for something they're actually entitled to, yeah. that in the grand scheme of things is a pittance, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not talking huge amounts mm-hmm. of money. It's just an awful thing mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're, we are not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, being, people who have conditions like MS being assessed every year. The bottom line is it's not going to get better. No. So why do you have to keep checking? Exactly. I see now, um, which I thought was absolutely fantastic, that people who are terminally ill no longer have to get assessed. I mean, that was so many people dying in absolute yep. penury because yep. they're, they're, yep. they were having to keep applying when they, when they were... They were going to die. Yeah, that's yeah. an. It's a, oh, that's, that, that's wonderful uh, in Scotland. That yeah. doesn't happen anymore. No, no. So mm-hmm. there was an interesting debate about that um, because the the lobbying was to reduce uh, the, the the original position from um, the UK government was that a terminal diagnosis was only acceptable if you were going to die within six months. And the lobbying was to reduce the amount of time. Uh, and you, sometimes you get caught in a rabbit hole, don't you? You go around in a circle. Lots of debates about should it be three months, four oh, months, serious. whatever. And I remember talking to our chief medical officer at the time, um, Catherine Calderwood, a fantastic woman, and talking to her and she said, Jean, clinicians don't give diagnoses like that. If, if somebody's going to die in a week will say they're going to die and it's a matter of days or a matter of months. But we don't put numbers on it because it's not an exact science and human beings are different. Everybody's and some different. people live longer and than we might have thought they would and some people die quicker than we might have thought we would. So I kind of went away and thought about that and thought, actually, any number is ridiculous. Any number is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? If you don't die within six months, you're going to ask for the money back. I mean, really. So what we changed it to was, if you have been given a medical diagnosis that your disease or illness is terminal, that's good enough. As that's enough. Be, yeah. Don't need. We don't need time limits. We don't need yeah. anything else. And all the crazy administration and oh, everything yeah, that must have gone mad. along with that. It's mad. It's just... It's mad. No, that was, that was fantastic. fantastic. And then, of course, Minister of Health. Yeah. You chose a great time to be Minister <laughs> of Health. My God. <laughs> when that pandemic came, you must have thought, why am I here? <laughs> oh, my God. But, you know, um, I watched every day... I would watch the um, updates on, and I thought that was so important, you know, for people to have the information. And I think that um, the way it was done was so good because you would be there, um, Justin, J- Jason, 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 and Gregor Smith, mm-hmm. and different people, and also the um, the Northern Irish. Mm-hmm. Girl, who was yeah. the um, the the deputy, and I just thought thought it was great because if Nicola Sturgeon was asked a question, she would say, "Well, it would be better if Jean answered this, or it'd be better mm-hmm. if Jason mm-hmm. answered this." So you felt you were getting absolute facts, yeah. and 
I think it was. I think it did an awful lot for, you know, for like for the update uptake mm-hmm. of the vaccine and for people complying mm-hmm. because they understood. You know, the, I mean, uh, the press were ridiculous. Asking all the. You know, you, you would have thought there would have gave me a few questions and asked the same one over and over. But it, it was so good. But the whole lot of you must have been demented. <laughs> you know what I mean? What I, no, I mean, oh, my God, that was the most awful... I mean, it's still awful. It's not, it's not, it's not disappeared. But at first, nobody knew anything about no. it. No, no. No, that that's <clears throat> that's very true. I mean, all all the planning that had been done, and there'd been a lot of planning done for pandemics, but it was all based on flu, mm-hmm. which is actually one of the cor- coronavirus family, mm-hmm. but very different. Um, and uh, so, so the big question then is how quickly and how well did we readjust those plans? Um, but it's interesting. I honestly, if I'm if I'm completely honest, if we had to have a a, a pandemic, I would have wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. So, when I was first appointed health secretary, I had a load of things I wanted to fix and do. And if somebody'd said there's going to be a pandemic in the middle of that, and there'll be some things you won't be able to do, I would have been, oh goodness sake, a bit cross about it. <laughs> but actually, once there is a pandemic, I don't mm-hmm. want to be. Not there. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be in the backbenches. I, I want to be the health secretary, um, doing my best to to try and make it safer for people. Um, I, it's interesting about the daily media briefings. We, we thought they were really important to do. Mm-hmm. And Nicola said at the outset, we're going to treat people as adults. So we're going to give them all the information that we know that we are sure of so we've had checked and double checked and we're sure of it in order to explain why we're now going to ask them uh, so that people have it as much um, accurate information as they can to understand why we're asking them to do quite extraordinary things like don't leave your house mm-hmm. only leave for a fixed amount of time mm-hmm. during the day and only for the following reasons don't see the people you love. Don't loads of don'ts, um, and and that thing about that collective thing again about, and we're all doing this to keep ourselves safe and everybody else, mm-hmm. and people did. Um, so we thought it was really important to do that, but it wasn't really until after I left and people are talking to me about it that I've come to understand how important it was, it was. for individuals themselves yeah. I don't know if it if it helped provide some kind of stability in a, in a mm-hmm. turbulent time when nothing was certain anymore and and we didn't know you know what was going to happen next there was a, a sort of fixed point mm-hmm. people have said to me you know oh no I, I organized my whole day around mm-hmm. so I was in front mm-hmm. of the television to watch the briefing mm-hmm. to hear what was being said mm-hmm. um, and that's quite humbling to think that's mm-hmm. the case, mm-hmm. that that's what, what people mm-hmm. were doing. But you know, I remember the, the first day, uh, day after the first lockdown, um, going through to Edinburgh to work, and the, the streets of Edinburgh were completely deserted. 
and just looking at it and thinking, oh my God, what have we done? Mm-hmm. I hope this you know, works. I used to look out the window because yeah. that station, because yeah. we look right onto the station, there are always people there. Yeah. And I would look out and I would be so happy if there was no one there. You know, I would think, oh, that's good. Everybody's kind of mm-hmm. sticking with it. Mm-hmm. People you were know, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. People were, I'm, I met a friend of ours a year ago we met him on the way to Hamden to watch Scotland play and he was looking fantastic. He was, um, he's probably, I don't know, now in his mid-60s, so that's what he would be, early 60s, maybe. Um, and I said, you know, and you're looking great. And he went, oh, that's thanks to you, Nicola. You said I could go out every day for half an hour for exercise and that's that's what I did every day and I, look I've lost weight look at me I'm looking great I just thought it was fantastic it was and also it gave well um, I watched it every day and that really be- really benefited because it gave me um, the kind of backup one of um, member of the family's got quite a serious mental illness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they you know if I was saying something and you know, getting them to comply because they could have gone away off in a tangent about you know conspiracies and mm-hmm. all this. Mm-hmm. And but I would say, well, look, this is, and I would always record it yeah. so that I could show. Yeah. And um, he couldn't stay. He couldn't have stayed by himself. So he came every day. Yeah. And um, but would go in, come with his mask on go in right away, wash his hands, mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. that. And I don't think, I wouldn't, if it, that had been just me saying that, yeah, it, no, it, it wouldn't have got through the yeah. same. No, but I was able to say, this is the message for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've all got to do. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I think an awful lot of people would, would have been like that. Yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you could well be right. I mean, th- there was undoubtedly harm caused mm-hmm. of course and it it's that um terrible position that you can be in where you're choosing between two different harms and which one is yeah, the least I know. um and you're right when you said earlier that you know covid's not gone because we've got a lot of people still suffering from what's Absolutely. called long covid yeah got um uh, probably additional mental health issues Absolutely. in individuals and, that, that, and young people who young didn't get people, through the stages know, my, my grandson um, was on the sports course mm. he was um, hoping to go on and do but what you were talking about do the HNC yeah. part, then do go on to uni and talking about being a gym teacher mm-hmm. well you could not do a sport online no so but like a lot of the young people <clears throat> And also played football and trained a couple of times a week. So carpet get completely pulled from mm-hmm. under his feet. Mm-hmm. No, it, it get pulled from a lot. A lot of the young people really, really suffered. They they so much want to socialise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. thank God, you no know, people complain about youngsters being always on their phone. Thank God for the phones. Well, yeah, you know? actually, mm-hmm. actually, for the phone and their tablets mm-hmm. and stuff, it mm-hmm. kept them connected. It, it kept, but, but, it was, but it they was, missed loads. They missed, they missed loads, absolutely. I know, I mean, speaking to my friends um, <coughs> with grandchildren, it's the, it seems to be the boys more mm. than the girls somehow mm. I don't mm. know why or maybe it's just that they've got boys but um, 
quite a lot of them have the same story. They were on a course <laughs> or they had a plan mm-hmm. and that's no longer happening, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryan's got on fine, actually, because he got then got offered um, some part-time work as a roofer ah. and quite liked it. And they liked him and they hadn't had any apprentices before, but they said, if we, if we find an apprenticeship... Would you be interested in doing it? So that's what he's, he's in second year now. Oh, good. Doing that. Oh, so, good. And I keep saying to him, the construction industry. Oh, it's booming. Be, you'll you'll be. never be out of a job, you know. <laughs> you're maybe better doing that than doing a degree, <laughs> you know. But no, it was a shame. But And then so many things went wrong with, with the, um, the pandemic. People did not know and they didn't. And actually, the more or less... Apart from Asia, where they were more prepared, and uh, because we, you know, I kept saying to people, or anyone would say a bit, what's the point wearing a mask? We say, well, every day of the week we see the Asian students with masks on. If they've got the cold, they put a mask on. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. because yeah. they had SARS, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so they were they were more um, aware. Mm-hmm. But um, an awful lot of the things that went wrong in Scotland with the care homes and everything. It was the same in every other country. It was the same in in many countries. It was was the exact same story because people, you've got decisions to make and you're making decisions really, well, you're making decisions based on what what is available, but you're also making limited decisions because it's it's such a, a new thing. That's true. That's true. And up up to a point. I mean, the 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 information about um, this virus and how it how it operates, if you like, was changing all the time as as researchers and clinicians found out more and understood more. And we were fortunate in Scotland in that people like uh, Jason Leach, Catherine Calderwood, others, um, some of our academics, our academic research people, um, have a real kind of global network that they connect up with people uh, in other countries so they were gathering information and but it could literally um, be the case that on the way to Edinburgh in the morning at seven I'd be reading something about the virus and how it worked and what they thought might happen that by coming back in the evening at kind of seven or eight it had changed yeah um and the I had a real privilege uh, last year in interviewing um, Anthony Fauci, the yes. US yes. Um, very senior uh, clinician who was advisor to the Trump government, God love him. Um, but I interviewed him and, and he said uh, at one point, I thought, really important thing, he said, Pe- people need to understand that science is a self-correcting exercise. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how science works. Mm-hmm. We think something now, we test it, we research it, we find out more, we've thought something completely different tomorrow. Yeah. That's how it worked and that's what was happening during um, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the decisions that you made were the best decisions you could on the information you had at the time, but the information would change. Yeah. Um, and would change again. Yeah, there were so many arguments and so much misinformation. There was, there was. I I liked um, Debbie Schrader. Yes. I I, uh, really admired her and read a lot of her stuff Mm -hmm. and I thought she was very um, clear. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. very good. 
mm-hmm. and I also um, I don't know I kind of sort of stumbled on on it quite early on um, this sort of approach in Japan mm-hmm. where and I would say to my friends that even when they started you know how they had bubbles mm-hmm. I wasn't awful keen on bubbles mm. um, and I would say to some of my friends because they would meet and in, in just maybe in their bubble but for dinner and I would say to them, don't, don't have dinner. Mm. You know, don't sit across or close to each other. Mm-hmm. Because in Japan, they were saying, you can go to the cinema. Because they were they're very well, well mentally, but they were facing. Mm-hmm. They, facing. they weren't sitting. Yeah. They were facing forward. Know, breathing mm-hmm. onto mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, so so there's a certain things I I caught in mm-hmm. onto mm-hmm. that I felt were, um, but I eventually I didn't get it for ages and ages. But eventually got it, and I thought I'm going to get COVID because I was on a bus, busy. I was going down to Okapatrick. I, I had to go. I'd been on the bus. Got on the bus at Annisland. Everybody had their masks on. Wasn't that busy? Then at Clyde Bank, masses of folk. Um, I had to change bus and change the yoker. Clyde Bank, masses of folk come on, and they all know each other because mm. they're from Okapatrick and down here. Chat, 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 chat. All sitting, busy, 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 and, and an awful lot of people no masks. Mm-hmm. I thought, my God, I do not like this at all. Yeah. And um, yeah. I felt very unsafe, mm-hmm. and I got um, then I've, I've still got them. I started getting the um, the really good mass very early yeah. Yeah, and yeah. handing them out. But mm-hmm. we, but my sister, my sister's in Canada, so we exchanged a lot of views on it. But we laughed because we had an aunt, aunt Mary, and she had um, a kind of. Um, obsession about cleanliness mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if we went there for lunch or anything if we touched her hair when we were at the table we'd have to go and wash our hands ah. or if you were getting in anywhere um, you know even the chapel you were, you went to the old in front mm-hmm. you had to kind of balance uh-huh. not touching anything <laughs> and I said to Kathleen you and I will be handed out the death hold to everybody <laughs> and the, and the, we had hand sanitizers in our bags already because we didn't because of our mates we were weighs, you know you had all this I mean, she was a bit over the top. If your head, um, if your head touched the clothes in the pool, then it all get brought down and get washed again, you know. So, but we did. But we, we laughed about that because I thought after I've got a dental soap in there already. <laughs> no, um, no. But anyway, I, I what I thought was, and what I still think, like with the pandemic, I think I would have liked if people had kept a lot of the. The habits, mm-hmm. you know, and thought if I've got the cold, I'm going to wear mm-hmm. a mask, mm-hmm. and you know, wash their hands for longer and just things mm-hmm. like that because they've been cut down so much. People, so much, and people getting colds and absolutely, and flu, you know? absolutely, yes, it would, yes, it would. I mean, all all those um, bugs and viruses um, can get passed around in much the same way. Mm-hmm. So the more that that we are washing our hands and still using sanitizer and wearing masks mm-hmm. if we've if we've got colds mm-hmm. then the better I know. Uh, and i think i think i think for some it's it became a habit mm-hmm. and hopefully not a habit they've lost and keep mm-hmm. doing it yeah no i, I, I <coughs> definitely um i've always got a mask in my mm-hmm. bag just in case mm-hmm. i feel 
un- uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. We've not really, I mean, we've only kind of started recently going to the cinema again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, but, oh God, it was awful. But anyway, apart from, apart from, oh my God, what an, I mean, it was bad enough for us, it must have been terrible for the people trying, with the responsibility, you know, of trying to make it not so bad. But, um, Jane, what I was wanting to ask you about was your new job mm-hmm. at Glasgow University, because mm-hmm. that sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell sure. me about it? Sure. Um, so uh, initially, uh, about a year ago, I started with the um, College of Medicine, Veterinary and Life Sciences, um, part-time, uh, working with them on their initially well, two, two bits to the job. One is to uh, give the occasional lecture to uh, postgrads, um, but the other part was on the whole uh, work that the university is undertaking over in the govern area mm-hmm. um, of the city, and that is around um, the what's called precision medicine which is essentially, and Glasgow University is one of the leaders, actually Scotland as a whole, um, there are other universities doing aspects of this too. Um, And precision medicine is uh, the idea that the, um, whilst the diagnosis, for example, that you and I might have is exactly the same, um, the way in which the um, treatment, including the drugs uh, that are used, um, make a difference will differ in part between us Mm -hmm. for all sorts of um, reasons to do with the kind of chemical and other makeup in our bodies. Um, And so precision medicine is about targeting the treatment more to the individual, even if the diagnosis is the same. And it offers, so A, it offers more effective healthcare to individuals, but it also offers real... Uh, opportunities for Scotland's life science industry to grow and to create more jobs and so on for the, so for the country's economy. It's also somewhere where you can make real use of technology. Uh, and, uh, for example, do more with patients so that they, particularly for long-term conditions, so that they are in, more in control of their condition mm-hmm less susceptible to needing emergency treatment or hospital-based treatment. Um, So, for example, Glasgow uh, University and the health board uh, with a a company called Lennis Health recently um, completed a piece of work for patients with COPD. Right. Looking particularly at the group who are most likely to have hospital admissions. Uh, because of their condition. And the, the clinicians design the work, um, the company, it kind of create the infrastructure that allows it to happen. But essentially, the patients um, do real-time monitoring of their condition that the clinician can see. And if it looks like their COPD is worsening, the clinician can intervene quicker directly, right. which means that it doesn't get to the point where they need an emergency admission. Right. Much better for the individual, obviously, but also better for the health service because people 
um, don't need to then get that acute care yeah. that they might otherwise do. Exactly. So that was the initial work, but it's progressed a bit now. Still heavily involved with the College of Medicine and Veterinary and Life Sciences, but a bit wider now across the university at all their um, economic development and innovative projects that they're running, whether it's from engineering or um, social sciences or whatever, to try and ensure that um, the, the projects come to fruition, but also deliver economic and social benefit. Right. Um, we've always had... Uh, uh, an issue in Scotland, a, a, a situation in Scotland where, you know, our um, academics and researchers are some of the best in the world mm-hmm. um, and they produce fantastic ideas. But connecting their ideas that they have proven work mm-hmm. with um, business and industry so that it can then be commercialised, if you like, and delivered... Um, in Scotland, with jobs in Scotland, has always been a, a there's always been a gap there, mm-hmm. um, and so you end up seeing something brilliant that somebody in Scotland invented, you know, getting made somewhere else, yeah. uh, which is just infuriating and a bit unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So, part of what I'm doing is helping the university work towards ensuring that we do that we have less of that gap. So the sort of research links more to sort of practical yeah. manufacture or yeah, whatever. Exactly yeah, exactly so. Exactly so. You know, one of the things that we did during the pandemic with, um, uh, I did with uh, Ivan McKee, mm-hmm. who's an yep. MSP in Glasgow and, the, and was a business minister. Uh, one, you remember that the, there was a huge demand for PPE. Mm-hmm. We never ran out of it in Scotland and, in fact, supplied it to places that we'd never supplied before, like care homes and pharmacies and so on. But um, we were still competing in a global market. And Ivan came to me and said, um, uh, could I give him £5 million? Well, not him personally, but <laughs> could I give £5 million from the health budget which would allow a machine to be bought in Germany that could then be used by a company in Fife to manufacture the material that make the high, the high um, protective masks, which would then be made by the company in Solway, right. um, and they would produce a mask. And that way we'd have a domestic supply chain. And so I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that idea of, yeah. you know, the... the capacity to do things exists in Scotland, a little bit of investment or a little bit of joining up yeah. the the ideas people with the delivering manufacturing yeah, people. That was great, him, him coming up with that. It was fantastic. Yeah. And we now have a domestic supply chain. Yeah. See, not, not to change the subject, but I just want to mention something to you how you're talking about PPE. I contacted you about PPE. Did you? Yeah. Um, I got in touch with you, I think it was through Facebook, and because Ryan, my grandson, his big sister, was working part-time in a care home in Eastern Bartonshire. Yeah. And I was frantic because she had been told they weren't to wear masks because it confused the relatives. Mm. And I phoned them up 
and asked them, you know, if what they were, they were saying about masks. And they said to get somebody to phone me back, and it didn't happen. Mm. So I got in touch with you and told you this, and you got back to me pretty quickly and said, tell me the exact um, name, the address, the details of where this is. And the next day that Caitlin was working there, she got full PPE. Good. So, so you must, well, have, thank you must you. have got on to them. Thank you for getting in touch. Thank you for telling me. Actually, um, it, it, it was... Uh, it's one of those situations that on the one hand is brilliant and on the other hand is a bit sad. Mm-hmm. And the brilliant bit was lots of people would email me or get in touch with me through Twitter or Facebook mm-hmm. and tell me things like that, mm-hmm. um, which which I... And I read and acted on every single one of them mm-hmm. and tried to fix them. So that was brilliant because people were telling me mm-hmm. about things that I wouldn't otherwise know. Yeah. Um, the sad bit was how surprised people were that they got an answer. Mm-hmm. And I just thought... Mm-hmm. Oh, you shouldn't be surprised. I, I, I wasn't that surprised, actually, because I had already um, previously, when Shona Robinson uh-huh. was health minister, I'd had to get in touch with her about something. Yeah. And um, she responded yeah. very... So I was... I, I had anticipated ah, you. Oh, good. I'm glad. I, you know, I thought... Mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to fix, you know, I'm going to fix this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. get in touch with the yeah. person who can do something about yeah. it. So, um, so I, pro- I think I was surprised when I got in touch with Shona. It was one of my friends needed to get into the hospice. Mm-hmm. And she, 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 she subsequently died, but she had cancer. Maureen had cancer, and she was at a very low ebb, and she needed to get into the hospice. Mm. And I um, got in touch with Shona Robinson to say, how do I mm-hmm. push this forward? And she gave me three um, contacts. One was the MSP in Clyde Bank um, to contact, mm-hmm. and I did that. And I, I was I was dying to get it done day quickly because I was going to visit my sister in Canada. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Canada, I got an email to say, that's your friend in the hospice. Oh, that's good. So, and that's one thing I feel about um, Scottish Parliament. I feel there's some, there's a degree of accessibility, mm-hmm. you know, that I don't think you get... That's even guessing the UK government, that's for sure. But I, I think I think it's quite um, unique in that sense. You feel you feel some sort of contact is there and possible. Yeah, yeah, and as as it should be. Mm-hmm. But I was thrilled. As I mean, I was thrilled when she told me I've got full PPE. Yeah. I was so reassured yeah. and so thrilled. Yeah. That, that that. I remember getting a. Um, actually, it was it was it was in the evening. I got an email from, uh, well, it was a Twitter message, I think. Anyway, from an uh, A&E consultant at uh, Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. And it was an angry message saying that um, they were he was on shift and they didn't have any PPE. And this was outrageous. And so I, I went back to him and said, well, well, that's not right, and I'm, let me try and fix it, and, you know, who are you, and where are you, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I got it checked. Uh, so government officials working were fantastic mm-hmm. as well, because they were working as well at 8 o'clock at night or 9 mm-hmm. o'clock at night. Um, I got it checked, and the PPE had all been delivered, and so then 
people ferreted away and I was able to go back to him and I went back to him by quarter to nine, I remember this, to say, actually it is there and it's in the second cupboard on the right (laughs) down the corridor and I'm really sorry, I don't know why nobody told you that but we'll fix that bit of it but if you go, can you message me back to tell me that it actually is there? That's And he came back it was fantastic. He came back and said, yep, it's all there. We're now all kitted out. And if you don't mind me saying so, I love you. I loved you too. Because I was so worried about her. Um, no. uh, and so it was just one of those, in the, in the, the moment, and I, in his shoes, you know, I would have been angry too. But it was one of those glitches. So the PPE had all arrived down the right stuff for a and um, clinicians and others. And somebody had said, right, we'll put it in there for them. Mm-hmm. right?" For, and then in the moment just forgot to say, mm-hmm. by the way, your PPE's in that cupboard. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he comes on. He's not, he's not going to search every cupboard. He's just angry that he now feels unsafe, his whole team that he's responsible for. Um, so it was those kind of things were, were good to be able to just yeah. sort it for somebody. I mean, there was a lot of um, concern about it, but a lot of um, kind of myths around it too. Yeah. You know, because I know my, my friend Frances, her daughter, in Claire, she's a nurse in the Royal, and when there was a whole lot of stuff about, you no know, people are not getting PP, she kept saying, well, Claire's got it, you know, Claire, mm-hmm. they've got um, mm-hmm. everything they, mm-hmm. they, they need, mm-hmm. you know, they're, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and because I, I think that Claire, um, she had the mask on for so long, that was kind of hard, yeah. you know, having to wear it. Um, yeah, yeah, um, it, it, it's sore mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for clinical staff, the, the kind of PPE they have to wear, it's really uncomfortable and sore. And people were frightened, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and anxious and scared about getting the virus themselves and worried about others. And in that in that environment, if it you know it lasts a long time, so people are are going to um, think because one one thing isn't happening that that means it's all gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't mean to be unkind or mm-hmm. um, no, it's, unhelpful. It's, it's, They're so just frightened and, and worried. And, and heartbreaking. And we knew people. I mean, my, my friend, um, Samina, her husband, Amjad, he died very early on. Yeah. And he was, he was in his 50s. He was fit as a flea. And um, they just... They didn't get it in the house, she didn't get it, her children didn't get it, they kept separate from him, everything. but they, they thought he was getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think there was so much people didn't know, even about how to, you know, have the, turn the patient around, not be lying on the mm-hmm. back. Also, so, mm-hmm. as you say, you, you're learning mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all the time, but that was Amjad's, that was his third anniversary a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was so, so sad. Jim yeah. is actually Jim's a songwriter, mm-hmm. is a musician, and he wrote this absolutely gorgeous song. I'll send it to you, um, and it was about Samina and Amjad, so mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And um, he was playing a gig in um, Dunoon not that long ago, and a few of my friends came 
and one of them was, she said, I was crying when Jim was singing that song. Yeah. But it is beautiful, yeah. you know, but it was kind of the whole, it was so sad. And, and everybody's, I mean, it would be hard not to have some sort of um, experience like that. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody has yeah. had um, experience all through the pandemic of of, of loss and anxiety mm-hmm. and and lovely moments too, you know, when when neighbours you maybe never really spoke to, just nodded to, and people step forward and do something really sure kind, you know. Sure. Oh my um, God, there was some fabulous volunteers. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Uh, community uh, people volunteering in the community were just extraordinary. Absolutely. You got, right. Okay. But listen, love, I've covered so much. The last thing I wanted to say, she was. Um, my brother Liam is yes. enjoying having you as a swimming pupil well, at, at his William Young Swim School. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think we have a lot of fun. <laughs> we do have a lot of fun. Uh, um, so I'll be 70 this year and I've always wanted to learn to swim. Uh, I've always been um, irrationally scared of the water. And I have to say your brother is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's... Uh, I'm... I'm almost swimming now good uh, if I in fact I could I probably could swim if I just stopped being a bit still a wee bit I don't really believe that I'll, I'll be the one that will sink to the bottom of the swimming pool when nobody else is sinking um, but he's he's great he's a really good instructor he's really good mm-hmm. instructor but he's just lovely mm-hmm. as well so we, yeah, yeah we have a lot of fun Lil yeah. comes after me uh, and so the three of us have a good laugh. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, he yeah. taught me to. Um, <coughs> I almost did the crawl, um, but so he taught me to do the breaststroke and got me to put my head under the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was an mm-hmm. achievement. Yeah. But, yeah. but Jean, thanks so much for not at all. Along. I've enjoyed it. That was dead interesting. You know. Thank you. And I sorry mean, for chucking water all over oh, your floor. God, it probably could be doing more. Some water <laughs> chucked on it. Um, <laughs> But you've achieved an awful, awful lot, and I hope you, um, your new job, well, it's not so new now, but I hope it continues to um, develop and that you get good feelings about that as well. Yeah, I'm sure I will. I'd, I'd like, the university is a lovely place to work, yeah. and the people there are lovely, and uh, any day now I'll be swimming as well. So. You will. <laughs> That's good. Thanks, Jean. Thanks, Pat. Thus ends another episode of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. I'll catch you the next time. Bye for now.